And hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. With me tonight, I have Beth once again from Made for TV podcast. Say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. And tonight, we're actually reviewing the 1980s film, The Fog. And this is actually my 10th, uh, going on my 10th movie that I know of, John Carpenter. Uh, of course, I also like the movie Christine. I forgot that he even directed that movie because I was looking through his filmographies of different movies that I've seen by him. And this one is one of the ones that I haven't seen. And also, too, The Thing is also another thing that I haven't seen. So I'm going to be doing The Thing review on Wednesday with Taco. But as for The Fog, the way it opens up is completely different of what I was expecting. Yeah. Because I was expecting, okay, you get fog, you see these people on a, on a boat, and then they see this uh, ship. So that's the first instinct that into my mind when I thought that that was how it's going to be opening it up. But I had no clue what was going to be about this old man telling a story to his grandkids and everything. And then it opens up to that scene that I was talking about. But the opening scene is just a campfire scene where the old man is talking to his grandkids, explaining to them about certain horror events, stuff like that. And then I like the context of that, though, because it's just kids who's around a campfire who loves hearing their grandfather tell ghost stories. And it's very relatable, and I like that aspect to it. And then, of course, when you get into that scene in the boat and then the fog and stuff like that, I, that was really good stuff. Yeah. And John Houseman was the actor who did that scene, and he's an Academy Award winner. So he's he was around for a long, long time. And I think I saw that he started his career in, like, 1938. So I really like that they brought him in because I think that sort of added – context to the movie but i think he did such a great job only even though it was only just i don't know what was he on five minutes but it was yeah. spooky i love that because it, it kind of was like it really set the tone for the movie i thought because the movie was dark i mean like literally at night most of the movie takes place at night and so that campfire scene where it's like now it's midnight and these people you know came in from you know the fog and the, i just i liked it i thought it was very atmospheric, but I did read, I, and I think I might have shared this with you, John, that that um, that scene was added later because apparently, I don't know if it was John Carpenter or the studio that thought maybe it needed a little something at the beginning, and I think it added a ton to the movie. I'm glad that they did it. To me, it actually does add a lot to it, the atmospheric type of setting that you were mentioning and stuff like that. It gives us that creepy vibe to it. And it also gives us a slow ghost story kind of feel as well. And I like how it goes back and forth where it opens up also, too, with the priest and stuff like that, too. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, Father Malone, he discovers his grandfather's diary at the church after a piece of uh, Mosnery falls from the wall. The journal that opens to 1880, the six yeah. founders of Tony Bay, including Malone's grandfather, deliberately sank a clipper uh clipper ship named the elizabeth dane so i like that element they used into it like they're using an urban legend yeah that might be true but not true kind of thing yeah and yeah. it happens to be true i like that yeah. yeah and it's almost like nobody well first of all the the one thing i liked about this movie was that the audience is in like we're in from the beginning par partly because of that scene at the beginning partly because of the scene with the father and the diary but like the rest of the cast or the rest of the movie they don't know what's happening so it's one of those kind of horror movies where you're like 
you know, don't look behind, you know, look behind you, don't open the door kind of movie, which I liked. And it was a little bit of a departure from Halloween, obviously. But I think that it really kind of set the tone actually for a lot of movies in the 80s. It definitely does set a lot of the tones from the 1980s and stuff like that. It also separates away, separates itself from Halloween and it becomes mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. And I like how it separates itself from Halloween because now you're dealing with an urban legend. You're dealing with a ship. You're dealing with um, some type of past history with the father and stuff like that, too, which is something that I really like that they dove into. And I like the creepiness and the elements of it. And also, too, don't look, open that door. Don't go near the light. Yeah. The fall coming. That stuff was really good. And also, too, for it to be dark as it is with the lighting and stuff like that, I feel like they gave us enough lighting to illuminate what was going on around the characters to make us care about those characters. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think that's one of the things about the film that the film does because it's because we're seeing different, different characters throughout and we're not following just one character. So we're getting a fuller picture, but, but with the darkness, it's, so we just we're we're going to review from from my podcast uh, an an old old TV movie from 1973 called Satan's School for Girls and it's so dark that it sometimes it's really hard to see what's even happening. And this mm. movie did not really have that problem at all. There was never a time where I was kind of like like looking getting closer to the screen trying to figure out what I am seeing because it's so dark. So it's dark but the lighting is just right so that you really can see what's happening. But also you kind of don't want to see too much because there that's part of the, the the horror of it is what's what's in that darkness. Right. And the thing that I liked about the originality behind this though too is there we see fog all the time. Or smog, whatever you want wherever you live, maybe California, whatever, but you see some element of a fog or smog. And you know, we're always wondering what's behind the fog? What's behind this and this gives us our whole entire expectations of what might be behind it and stuff like that too and using our imaginations as to what could be there looming in there in that uh setting so that's something else that i appreciate that um john carpenter was able to give us is like some type of element of imagination because we always do want to have we use our imaginations for stuff like that i mean come on if you're a kid you're like oh i wonder what's behind the fog i wonder if there's something more that's lurking behind it and that's exactly what i feel like john carpenter does he grips on your childhood emotions and also your imagination and also too i liked the part where you actually have the captains of the ship rolling into the into this uh ocean and then you also have at the same time as that's going on you have this woman from an amfm radio station broadcasting from a light light tower and stuff like that, keeping them updated on the weather conditions and things like that. And that's something else that I really liked about it was the back and with that kind of setting. And it also adds a lot more of that campfire flavor to it. It totally does, especially that, especially the relationship between Stevie. She's the the um, the for people who don't remember if they've spent a while since they've seen it. Stevie is the one who owns the lighthouse and the radio station, but that the weatherman who calls her, you know, it's kind of a nice, there's a lot of, a lot of um, 
lightness in this movie and like with her and him and you know he's kind of asking her out all the time and she's putting him down and saying no and it's it's kind of fun just in the same way that Jamie Lee Curtis's character is kind of you know she's kind of starting this maybe relationship or little fling or whatever and it's kind of light you know so there's a little bit of brevity in this movie that I that I appreciated and the scene with the the little boy who goes who's down by the ocean like you know, looking for looking for treasures, and he sure found something. Yeah, he wound up finding the leftovers of the Elizabeth Dean on the shore and everything of that coastline and everything. That's also too the when the mother started freaking out because now she realizes there's something more to the ocean than uh, than what what than what we see. Yeah, and that's something that I really like too was the creepy element of that, and then also too. Now, the funny thing for me is with Jamie Lee Curtis getting picked up, she's a hitchhiker and things like that. And then all of a sudden they want the guy, her and the guy that she's with winds up sleeping together. I'm like, okay, they don't <laughs> know each other, but yet <laughs> they're going to sleep together. Oh, it's kind of still 80s. the 70s when he wrote it. So <laughs> right. it could happen. <laughs> no, I'm sure it happens all the time. <laughs> right. But, you know, the the chemistry between Jamie Lee Curtis and him were really good. Yeah, I thought so, know? too. Yeah, I actually thought I thought that the casting in this movie was outstanding. Everybody that was in this movie did a great job, whether they had a smaller role or a larger role. I thought it was really good. And I thought it was really fun to see Janet Lee. Like, because, you know, Janet Lee and is, um, so she's Jamie Lee Curtis's mom in real life, but she's also like the queen, of the, like the original horror movie goddess, because she's the one who was murdered at the beginning of Psycho. And I loved that she was in this movie. And I think, so I have to say, I got to give a shout out to Casey, my co- my co-host, because she's the one that recommended we do this. She watched it a little bit before you and I had talked about doing it. And she's the one who told me that this is one of two horror movies that Janet Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis were in together. Wow. And, that's, and that's I can't remember, I can't remember. Yeah. And I can't remember what the other one was. I think it might've been a Halloween one of the Halloween films, but I don't remember. Yeah, it was one of the Halloween films that they were in together, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think but, you're right, yeah. But you know what, though? I'm glad that Jamie Lee Curtis and her mom was able to be in the same movie together. I love that whole entire aspect of two horror queen, screen, uh, screen queens together. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I love I love that. I thought that was really, thought, thought that was very smart casting on John Carpenter's part. Most definitely. It's like, okay, well, I got the daughter. Now let's see if I can get the mother involved into the, my next feature. And so it was to be, it works out. Yeah, exactly. Because um, she just did such a good job. I mean, like it was her, her, her character, her part. She, she turned it into really, really turned it into something because she was kind of, I, it could have been a real dull character. Let's put it that way. But she, Janet yeah. Lee is so, is such a good actress that she, and by this time, I mean, she's an older lady in the movie, so she's really had a, she's such a seasoned actor at this point. And I just think she did such a good job with the movie. She definitely does. And I know that we mentioned a little bit about when uh, Stevie uh, Wayne, her son, Andy, finds the uh, word Dean, and Andy found it on the beach. But also, too, Stevie takes it with her to the lighthouse where she broadcasts yeah. her radio show. She lets the wood down next to a tape player that is playing but the wood unexpectedly begins to 
see uh, water, which I find really, I found that scene really cool. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of Davy Jones a little bit, where basically in water, they can't go on land. All they can do is be on in the water, and that's it. Because if they go on land, that's it. They're, uh, it's basically just them being water, basically, in a sense. But then again, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But yeah, I me like too. Fact, I can't remember. <laughs> but I like that aspect where, okay, in the water, it's just uh, driftwood. Then if it's taken out of that element, out of that water where those people died, it just becomes, wa- it just becomes water. It, that element is now gone. And I yeah. liked how they played off of that. I thought that was, that added the creepiness to it. It mm-hmm. added the whole urban legend aspect to it and gave it the creepiness of what Stevie is going through with her son. Yeah. And it was what was to me, that was such an interesting moment because I wasn't expecting. I mean, I, I saw the movie, but I was probably in high school the last time I saw it. It's been quite a long time. So I'd actually forgotten about that, that part. And I and I thought it really I thought it was really interesting because you're just all of a sudden like, oh, no, because she decides to take it to work. And I didn't really think that much of it. And then when when she played, when she started playing the music on the um, tape player, I thought, "Uh oh, something's going to happen. And I just couldn't remember what it was because it's been so long. So I was like, oh, no. (laughs) And I liked it. I liked I liked that. It it just because all of a sudden everything that that moment with that sign that really sort of changes the whole film because now Stevie's a part of it, you know, and we're kind of slowly getting everybody's kind of moving into what's really the heart of the movie. And that is, you know, trying to stop these six people from getting killed that night. Right. Because a matter of fact, this is how they find out finding out is when the voice uh, emerges from the tape player swearing revenge and the word six must die appear on the wood before it bursts into flames. Stevie quickly extinguishes the fire, but she then sees the wood once again, reads Dane, and the tape player begins working normally again. So, yeah. yeah. So now you have to have a suspense film mixed in with this horror element, and now it's about survival. Now it's about trying to save this town from being killed by the fog. Yeah. And the fact that they know that the, there's something evil lurking in the fog, it it grabs you in another way that you never thought before either. Yeah. It's very intriguing. It is. It is. And I think that, that that's kind of a moment too where you're like, oh, this really cements what's what's really happening and that we're like, oh, so, some shit's going to happen tonight. We don't know. And since it's the 100-year anniversary party, you know something's going to happen. But you don't know what it is. And I think that maybe today, like having everything set around a party like that might seem, make it feel cliche. But I think it was original when that film, I think things that have, that happened after that were stolen from, the, the idea was stolen from this movie. Because at the time, that was, that was not as usual as it might be today. That's true because just about anything on a hundred year anniversary or anything like that, you know, something's going to happen. You know, for a fact, even 30 years, for example, of some cursed thing might have to come up on the 30th anniversary or the hundredth anniversary. We know that something has to happen to some of these people in this town that might be covering something up or whatever, but we just don't know what it is because it hasn't been uncovered yet within the movie itself. And it seems like the same cliche, the cliche stuff afterwards, after this film, 
because we always had, for example, even though this is a Stephen King movie, every 30 years it comes back and everything. And then you also have uh, another one is Hocus Pocus with the um that's also another one with the flaming light um mm -hmm. candle so you can go through any type of scenario and you can find remnants of what this is exactly but i think i think for the time it was original and a very original idea mm -hmm. and it doesn't the way that the way that this is filmed the way the story is told it doesn't feel like a cliche i mean it doesn't feel like mm -hmm. even looking at it you know, this afternoon when I was watching it again, I wasn't like, oh, this feels like a cliche or a trope. It, it still f has a feeling of, I don't want to say, freshness is probably not a good word for a horror movie, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, originality. Yeah. Something and, that keep, right. makes it all interesting. Definitely. Most definitely. And especially at the fact that we actually have town history within this world that uh, John Carpenter actually created. Mm -hmm. So therefore it becomes that much more believable because you gave us that little tidbit of the town history and stuff like that, but we don't know the whole context with it either. So that's also that another little horror vibes, horror element to it. Also too, I want to just talk about the creatures within the fog itself, because mm -hmm. when the, when they go on that killing spree on the ship as well, you're horrified because you don't see their actual faces yet until towards the end of the film. Yeah, but just to know that there's something creepy and airy that's lurking in those in that fog, and then it could actually kill you. That that's what's horrifying. Is what you can't. Oh see. yeah, especially because you know if you're on a boat, fog in and of itself is danger. I mean, it's just dangerous mm -hmm. to be out on any body of water when there's fog, which is why there's lights and the horns and all of the things that you have to have when you're out there. And I've been out on a boat when it's foggy, and it's scary enough without looking turning around and finding you know all these shadow figures that want to murder you it's it's pretty it's very smart the the way i'm glad i i thought it was good that they set that first sort of scene up um the first set of murders on that boat i thought it made a lot of sense for the film and not just oh the fog's rolling in and now this is all going to happen on land right. it can happen anywhere in this vicinity of this town not just land Right. It doesn't give you a safe space at all. It gives no. you that fact is nobody is safe in this movie at all. No. And that's something that I liked about it. And also, too, I like the fact that they didn't show us the other uh, creatures within the fog right away. I'm glad they gave us that slow build towards something bigger and the very end of the payoff is fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I don't. I didn't want to see the. I actually didn't want to see their faces, and I actually might have been okay if I didn't see them at all. But I mean, I'm glad that they that they revealed it. But um, I'm glad they didn't do it early on because I think that added to the. Because this wasn't just a horror movie. This is actually there's a lot of very scary moments. I thought mm -hmm. in this film, like especially when um, Jamie Lee Curtis's character and I, I Nick is his name. They're in bed after she, he picks her up hitchhiking and there's that knock on the door and you see the, the, you know, the shadow out there. And I was like, Oh no, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen. I, I, I was, it's, it was, it's terrifying because nobody wants to like have a shadow figure that doesn't say, Hey, it's me. Let me in. I want to have a beer, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. But you know what though? Another thing too, is even with Andy, with the babysitter, or was that his aunt? I can't remember. But um, so I don't know if she ever clarified. She called he. I don't think she ever clarified. I think it was a babysitter housekeeper, maybe. Okay, but with that scene, 
And the and also too, when you see Stevie saying, "Help my son! Help my son! <gasps> He's gonna die if you if, because the fog's gonna get him." At that time, you also have J- Jamie Lee Curtis, and also too, you also have the have Nick and Elizabeth coming over to try and save him at the same time that this broadcast is going on. So I like the music element to it where you're, tr- he's trying to, they're trying to speed over there at the same time that this, uh, it's like the AM FM radio thing became the soundtrack to them trying to get the, get to her son. Yeah. I thought that was really, really smart. Like today you probably couldn't do something like that because people don't listen to the radio in the way that they did. But back then they probably everybody in town did have that radio set to listen to the weather because you, there was no other way to get the weather. Unless I guess if you watch the news, those were the only two ways to do it. So I thought that was really actually brilliant in the way that he did that because when it first started, I thought, well, this is sort of a weird choice. She's working at this lighthouse. And so that's, you know, kind of, like, I wonder what's happening there. And then you realize that it's actually not just the lighthouse, but the radio itself is, is a, the, the a key to the communication throughout the movie. And I, and I like that. And it was running throughout the whole movie. Then of course, at the end, you're kind of <clears throat> seeing Stevie's terror about her son. And I, and I thought that was brilliant, actually really, really smart. Same. And also too, I like the sacrifice that the housekeeper did for her son and tells him to get in um, in the bedroom and everything, and then all of a sudden it goes over to her. As he, as soon as he shuts the door, she's pretty much gone. Yeah, and then you that just was feel bad. Yeah, I was like, no, and then don't go for the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the kids never die in these horror movies, but you're always worried they are, especially when you're a mom. <laughs> That is very true, because even though I knew that there might be a slim chance that he would survive, but there's also that suspense of, what if he doesn't? What if they change the rules to how certain characters are actually picked off? Because kids could actually be, they could actually do something different than what we don't normally see. So maybe that might not even be a safe element into the room at all, either. Yeah. And then, and then you're worried, like, well, what if something happens to Stevie? And then this little boy is now like an orphan because they don't mention the dad. He's not in the, in, he might be around, but you know. So there's that worry, just like what happens when she, if she's something happens to her too. Right, and you know, like I said before, whenever, she, of course, you know, we wind up seeing uh, Elizabeth and Nick trying to race over there, and then of course that music is playing. And speaking of music, this is what I want to mention is this. This is like John Carpenter's thumbprints to Christine when it comes down to the musical aspect of it. Because in that same kind of vibe with the fog, he uses that same kind of element for Christine. For that type of music, whenever the dramatic stuff starts, the scary stuff starts happening within Christine. She has her own theme song. And You know, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but... So yeah. I can't remember specifically, but yeah, she basically they he basically gave her her the the car her own theme song music. Okay, if you think about it, and this one he gave the fog its own theme song music, which is something that I like that eerie kind of music and things like that, which is something it, the music becomes the character and the character becomes the fog, and that's something that I really liked about it. Yeah, and I think it was necessary because fog is fog, right? So you got to give it something that stands out just just rather than just like showing fog, that's going to be boring, right? So what do you do? You have to 
do something. So adding music to it is, is smart. It's a good way to do that. And it also is a key to the viewer that something's going to happen. Exactly. Um, then also too, we also wind up the, the, we also see Dick Baxter with his eyes uh, gouged out. The other two are missing. One of whom is a husband of Kathy Williams, who is overseeing the town's uh, centennial celebrations. While Elizabeth is alone in the autopsy room, Baxter's corpse rises from the autopsy table and approaches her before collapsing. As, yeah, that's a that little scene? bit of a, that. That scene. Well, I I wasn't super surprised when when that happened. I guess I was somewhat expecting it, but when when he gets up and he falls over, like nobody really questions like what just happened. They're all just kind of like, oh, the guy fell off out of the. I don't know because he he moved a fair distance. He wasn't he wasn't just like two steps and he falls. It was a little bit longer than that. So. But then that's where you find out that's when he writes the three on the so we know then that that there's three people left to die. So I think that was good because that that kind of reminded us as the viewer that we still have we're still he's going to they're going to kill three more people. We just don't know right. who and it could be anybody at any point. So I, I liked I like that part. But the scene itself was I didn't think it was um, I, I, I wasn't like blown away by it or anything. Uh, same here as well. I found that maybe a little bit anticlimactic when you look at it. Yeah, it's like okay, we get it. He's he's not really dead, and then all of a sudden he just kind of falls. I'm like, okay, this is nothing that I feel like that's really horrifying. I feel like the deaths of the people that are really more more horrifying than that. Yeah, and I actually thought the the um, the water seeping out of the sign and the and the fire was scarier, and the guy at the door was scarier than than the getting up in the morgue thing i i just it wasn't super it just didn't scare me and i and i don't remember it scaring me back then either i I think because there's a certain thing you expect out of a horror movie from that time period and one of those things is reanimation you know of dead people that that wasn't that uncommon no definitely not and also too then it cuts over to nick and connor uh dr Phoebe's, I think that's how I have it in my notes, rush into the room where they see the once again lifeless corpse has carved the number three on the floor, which is what you mentioned that evening at the town celebrations begin. uh, begin. Local weatherman Dan calls Stevie on the radio station to tell her that another fog bank has appeared and is moving towards town. So what did you think of the back and forth with a weatherman telling a woman who, who sees everything through the lighthouse the weather conditions and stuff like that. It's like a little inside baseball kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. And also I like that she was kind of like, well, listen, you're telling me that there's fog there and I'm not seeing it. It's not really there, you know, or, or cause, because it moves really fast. It seems like it's, it's like not there and then it's there. So, but I, I like that. I kind of like that, the back and forth between, I like that little relationship between them. You know, you can tell that they have talked on the phone for long, long periods of time, you know, like, for however long she's owned that station they they've talked and and i and i liked and i liked that and i thought it did a good job of setting up what was happening in the story until of course you know he's he's one of the one of the victims right and uh before we get further into this and everything i just want to go on ahead and take a minute because we actually are sponsored by manscaped so the first person that I think that can actually use a Manscaped is probably Edward Scissorhands. 
because especially whenever he's I've always been wondering he's always busy with his hands he's always busy trimming the bushes and everything does he have enough time to manscape down in the downstairs region that's something that I was all I don't know why I was curious about that or anything like that but I was like how does he groom down there well maybe if Peggy went on ahead and gone on manscape 4.0 back in those days he wouldn't have that problem because you know why let me just tell you a little story about manscape 4.0 that's actually sponsored uh, that's actually sponsoring Movie Lovers Unite. And they're actually the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Champions of the world, Manscaped offers precise engineering tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawn Mower 4.0, which is better than Edward Scissorhands' hands whenever he's trimming the bushes. You heard that right. The 4.0 join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code movie love night at manscape.com. And imagine shaving a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time, your favorite time in the bathroom. You never want to, here's the thing. When Edward was mad and everything, I can imagine him being mad because he's hairy down there. That's why he was mad. He wasn't mad because the person was making up vicious rumors about him. He was mad because of his grooming habits was not, the top notch that it needed to be so we needed to get a manscape 4.0 i'm one of the first people to tr- actually try the new 4.0 and i'm blown away by the performance the craftsmanship and details of the 4.0 or the next level and let me just tell you this i use this on myself it's fantastic there's actually hard to reach places that you never knew that you had before the led light actually helps with those hard to reach places and things like that Manscaped is also engineered in the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredible incredible, uh, ability, comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge uh, ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. The upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 LED spotlight on and off, like I said before, for those hard-to-reach places. And the lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Dimension wireless charging. The new wireless charging system uses electronic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code Movie Loves Unite, and I promise you, your balls will thank you. And that's everything that you can, can know about uh, the uh, Manscaped 4.0. And I hope Edward winds up having a great time with this tool instead of trimming everybody else's bushes because I know his balls will be happy. So let's go on ahead and get back onto the fog review. So, <laughs> so anyways. We're giggling um, like little kids. <laughs> right? He said balls. <laughs> but <said> no. <laughs> But, um, you know, then, like I said, as uh, Stevie proceeds with the radio show, the fog starts moving into an island inland, uh, disrupting the town's telephone and power lines. Using the backup generator, Stevie begs her listeners to go to her house and save her son when she sees the fog closing in and her lighthouse vantage point. And what do you think about that element of now this fog has the power to turn off uh, the power and the electricity, it can control everything. 
and stuff like that, like a thunderstorm. That is really threatening to me because we would think, okay, well, it's the fog. We we can we can we don't have to worry about driving outside or anything like that. We can stay comfortable in our homes. There's nothing to fear with the fog or anything like that. But when you look at the element of the fact it can cut off your power, you need a generator, and all this other stuff is happening, it's like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and the and the phone lines, like you said, I mean, it's it's it, it, and and Stevie knew, like, if she left, even even if she left, she doesn't know what's going to happen to her. That's why she's like begging for help. But I think that's that's one of the th- things that I liked is that it's sort of this underlying fear that you really just don't know. Like when we're dealing with, you know the the six the six men who we know are in the fog we we have to be fearful of that but we don't know what else that fog's going to do i mean there's no there's no precedent for it so i think that really adds to the fear and and stevie is like truly like horrified and scared at this point when she's screaming for or she's asking people to help her help her help her and she doesn't even know who's going to listen because they remember they've got this big party going on so she doesn't know that anybody's in the town listening to the radio at this point exactly all she can do is for desperation is just hope and pray someone is listening and i'm like we've talked about before then we wind up having that great scene where basically uh he's just running they're both Elizabeth and also to Nick is running uh, over there trying to rush to save her son. And, you know, and all she can hope for is somebody will be there in the nick of time. And so up as me, they get there in the nick of time and things like that. And I wasn't sure they were going to make it like this is my first time seeing it. So, of course, I'm not going to know everything in full detail. If it, but it made me appreciate this movie that I haven't seen it. So that way I can have those feelings of like, oh my God, are they actually going to make it? Is this kid going to make it or not? And that's just great storytelling and great writing because then it can become one very dimensional. If you think about it with the writing, it's like, eh, they're going to make it at the nick of time because that's what happens in every movie. With this one, I felt like a sense of danger for that character. It didn't feel like a cartoon where basically, oh, they're going to make it at the nick of time before anything uh, even happens. Yeah, I th- I agree with you wholeheartedly on that, and I think that that's part of the how how well the casting was for this movie is that they they really were such good actors that they they made us care, and that that helped make it not a one dimensional. But the writing is good enough that as well that that helps us. But like, I really felt for Stevie and and her kid. I was like, oh my gosh, somebody go get that kid, you know, and and you. Know, Jamie Lee, I mean, you just don't know who the next murder victim is going to be. So the whole time you're like, oh, my gosh, well, it can't be Jamie Lee Curtis. She's like the star, right? They never kill the star of horror movies, right? Well, they do all the time because Janet Lee's, you know, <laughs> she made it, what, five minutes into Psycho. <laughs> right. And that so was it. You just, yeah. And, and it had been. I don't, it came out in 1980, so I would have been way too young, to, not way too young, but I probably didn't see it until it came out on VHS, maybe in the late 80s. So it's been 30 years since I've seen it. And right. I still was, and I knew how it ended. I remembered a lot of it, not every single scene. So I, but I was still like, oh no, you know, go get to the church, you know, get, get to the house, help these people. Who's next? You know, it was, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was just, written overall it, it i thought it was i thought it was well written I, it was well constructed it definitely was this is probably 
aside from They Live, which I feel like is a great movie when you look at the political aspect with the rich and stuff like that. And of course, he had his own agenda for that movie because of the uh, Reagan years and stuff. But I feel like with this one, his writing is really top notch with the originality behind it and gave us characters that we cared about and that we can root for. And also to have that sense of danger of what's lurking beneath the, like I said, with the fog. Yeah. And I feel like that's what's missing in today's uh, horror movies is the fact that I feel like they show us too much, even in a trailer or even in a movie. It's like, give us a little bit more credit than what we are because we're smarter than yeah. what you give us credit for. Let us get to that point without showing us everything. Yeah, I think that this film, and I've said this to you before, I think that if you take all the horror out of ha Halloween, it's a great film still. It's very suspenseful. And I think this one has the same the same idea. I mean, if you take out all the, the, the gore, you still have a really suspenseful film. And I don't think a lot of horror movies today do that. It's, no. They're not both. They're either one or the other. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that separately, but I really like it together. Because I think it just adds, I love thrillers. They're my favorite movies. I love suspense movies. So I just really like it when that's in a horror movie as well. And, and, and the 80s had a lot of that, but I think there's a lot more characterization, especially in this film. There's a lot, the char there's a lot of characters. Like, even though it, the film is roughly, what, an hour and a half or a little over an hour and a half, there's a I lot of character build up. Yeah, so there's a lot of character characterization throughout, though, I think. Yeah. And I, but I don't think it was in your super in your face, um, and that's what I liked about it. I hate that when they take. I guess it's kind of the um, Hallmark television kind of movie where rather than show you, they tell you, you know. And this movie doesn't do that, and I like and I appreciate that. I like. I don't want to be. T I want to figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. I just. I want to. I mean, I need help because I'm not that smart. But I. But I like to figure stuff out on my own. And I Me think too. this movie was smart in the way that it let you do that. I agree, and that's one thing I appreciate with James Wan movies. Even though I didn't really care for Magnet as much as I wanted to, but I can appreciate the Conjuring movies because it's a slow build, and once that uh, tension is there, it gets released. And that's where that's I, just sheer terror. <laughs> yes. I like that. <laughs> I love it. Not only that, but there's no noise. There's no music to let you know that something horrifying is happening. It gives you that slow tension. It gives you little small sounds of the ghosts and the creepiness and the eeriness. And I feel like that's what's missing in today's world. And I love James Wan as a director and a writer. It's just that with McNaughton, eh, not so much, but still. But it has that 80s flavor, though, if you're into 80s type of movies and with the 80s dialogue kind of flavor, it, this that movie is going to be for you. But if you're like me, who I feel like that we got past all that, then that movie might not be for you. But anyways, with The Fog, though, the characterization, the atmospheric environments, the characterization of the characters and the layers of the characters are really not one-dimensional at all. It mm -hmm. feels so real. And yeah. because it feels so real, it's very relatable. Even with Father Malone, whenever he finds the cross that's that's in his um, that's belonged to his family that they actually took from the people that are actually haunting him within the fog and stuff like that, my mouth just fell open whenever I saw that shock value of the fact that Father Malone had this cross the whole time, and his family was the one who was behind all of this. Yeah. 
And he was, and he was like shocked about it. I mean, one of the things I liked about Father Malone is that, you know, he was, he was a priest, but he also was clearly struggling with some alcohol issues. So I think that made him like a real kind of more of a real person to me. But I, and I think, I genuinely think that the character, his character was really stunned to find out about his family or, or that his family was behind it and, and finding that bible in the wall and or the journal or whatever they called it the journal i guess it was a journal so i thought it was i thought it was i liked that because otherwise you know at the very beginning of the movie i thought oh he's kind of a dud because you know um that's actually john carpenter who plays the the janitor when he asked to get paid i was like uh, I don't. I don't know if this is going to be that interesting, but it 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 comes along, <laughs> you right. know. And then and then we have that scene where the the thing falls out. So yes, I I agree. I think that that was. I, I like that. I like that about how they worked his character into the storyline. Same here. And here's the thing about Father Malone that I liked, because when you think that you're you know everything about your family's lineage and everything. You, they don't tell you the darkest things about their about your family history or anything like that, and that's why it was like the shocking and deepest thing that Father Malone didn't even know about, and the fact that yeah. he was shocked and disappointed, and therefore now he has to try and figure out a way to lift this curse. So he winds up giving them this cross that represents what his family stole, and he gives it to them. And then also too, we also have have other elements that's going on in here. Uh, as well with all the other characters where uh, like for instance we have Blake dis- uh, at the lighthouse more revelance attacks Stevie trapping her on the roof inside the church Blake seizes the gold cross in which begins to glow Nick pulls Malone away from the cross sheds before it disappears the binding flash of light along with Blake and his crew the revenants of the lighthouse also disappears and the fog vanishes Stevie gets down from the roof and makes it back safely after Elizabeth Nick and Andy Kathy and Sandy leave the church Malone contemplates why he spared was spared by Blake and asks why not six given that there have been only five deaths. However, moments later, the fog appears inside the church, along with the revenants, and Blake de- uh, decapitates Malone as the screen cuts to black. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, I think, that to me, that seemed like a full-on surprise ending. Because, I mean, you don't really know what to expect. You don't know. But you know at that point, if you're counting, which I was doing, there's only five deaths so far. Right. So, you know, you're with him going, oh, where's the sixth one? And then, oops. Well, now we know, you know, and I, I like that. I thought it was, Me too. I thought it was satisfying. I thought it was a satisfying way to end it. Same here as well. It's like, okay, your family might be dead, but you're the last of their lineage. So you're going to have to suffer for their sins. So therefore you have to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I, and that's what I, I mean, yeah. And I, and I think that I guess if, even when I was watching it again tonight, earlier today, I, I didn't see it coming in the way, in the sense that I don't think it was there all along for us to guess what was going to happen at the end. And I like that. I don't, I don't like to know, you mean, you know, you know, there's always a happy ending, you know, with the horror movie kind of trope. And that wasn't the case in this one. And I, and I like that. Me too. I like that. There was no really any hard trope in this though. It it wasn't a paint by the numbers kind of film. No, it didn't feel like it dragged on. It felt like it's a movie that, once it gets into like the 20 minute marker, it just goes and yeah. it doesn't slow down. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does take a few minutes to, to get moving because you're at first you're kind of like, you know, what are these three drunk guys on this boat going to have to what, what do they have to do with the movie? And but then, right. you know, once once that kind of we get past that and start getting into what's really going on and we start finding out. But I think part of it, too, is that he doesn't we don't find out every single thing about what's going to happen or what's going on right away. It's not like, you know we know there's a bad guy and he's going to kill all the townspeople. We don't really know everything. And we don't know what no. the end's going to be. You know, we don't know like, Oh, did they change their mind? There's not going to be six is why isn't it? And then bam, six. So exactly. it's really a guess. It's really a guessing game the whole way through. Right. And I, and I, I like even, that. Me too. Because here's the thing. I was questioning, what does Father Malone have to do with anything? He's reading exactly. the will. This has nothing, no continuity whatsoever with the plot to drive the plot. Then once you get into like the last half hour, it's like, oh, okay. So this was the setup for Malone to try and redeem his family lineage and everything. And also, too, to try and help lift the curse. Okay, I get it now. It's now linked to Father Malone's family. Okay. Yeah. So. And then you're and then you kind of get the sense like, OK, so is are they gone for another hundred years or forever? Because you kind of feel like that's it. That's done. You know, the, the movie, because sometimes when movies end, they don't end. Well, we know that because there's lots of franchises, the Halloween franchise, right. Friday the 13th. So um, and I don't know if he did that. Like, I wonder if he intended to have a franchise with this one, but it ended up being one and done. I, I don't know. It did really well. There wasn't a second right. one, was there? No, I don't think there wasn't there was. a second one. No, at all. And I always get this film mixed up with The Mist for some reason with the Stephen King. I'm like, because of the fact of similarities and stuff like that between the two but you know um but with this one i feel like carpenter was just going for a one-off and that's it because especially whenever it ends on father malone and it started with father malone's family and it ends with father malone i feel like if father malone would have lived it might have actually still continued but because yeah. he died at the very end spoiler alert <laughs> but because he died i feel like this is a one-off movie there's nowhere to actually go with it if they wanted to continue this movie off because it ended with malone yeah and i wonder if that was purposeful that they made him a priest because that clearly meant he had no family like he didn't have a wife and children or anything to like carry on any legacy there that, that doesn't exist so Hmm. that's something I'd, I'd like to maybe do some research on because that's interesting to think about now that i'm actually thinking about it which i hadn't you're making mad wheels my, my wheels spin i know too. but because it's interesting because i thought well like why i mean i guess i understood like because the journal was at the church and the cross and and those kinds of things but it it was an interesting choice to make to have him be a priest I think I have an idea and I okay. went deep with my gremlins thing last night. So I'm going to go deep with this one too. Um, but what if father Malone subconsciously thought, you know, I'm the last member of my family and therefore I don't. And if I continue their legacy, maybe that might be something more that, you know, with him not having any other children or anything that also helps because it ends that bloodline with that, with him. And if that continued on, those kids would actually be in jeopardy. Yeah, it's true. And they would have been. But it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that's that's a good point. And I was trying to formulate another idea, but I that to to piggyback on what you just said and then I and then I lost it. So I can't remember. But I think that um yeah, and I wonder if that's why they made him a priest, just because it was 
because of that reason. And maybe Carpenter had not planned on doing any kind of franchising. But then again, I don't know if he planned on franchising Halloween. Do you? Do you think was that meant to be one and done? I think it was meant to be one and done. But I think once the studio saw how well it was received. Yeah. That's when they went for the full, full thing. Yeah. Because that might be the first horror movie franchise in movie history, right? I mean. Aside from Jaws. Because Jaws was, was 1975. Was it really? Jaws was in the 70s? Oh my gosh, yeah. you're right. Yeah, because there was a 3D one out. That was mid-80s because everything right. was 3D. This movie in 3D kind of might have been cool. <laughs> I think it could have had some uh, way to... Susp- I think that kids would actually have nightmares if they yeah. did this uh, 3D, to be honest. I think it would have been kind of fun to watch in 3D, don't you? I don't think 3D think so. technology was available. I mean, because they would have filmed it at the end. It would have been late 70s filming it. And I don't think 3D technology sort of was made it to a mid-80s? Late like 80s? mid-80s, I believe, was when it was the big thing. Yeah, because um, Jaws 3 was in 3D. There were right. several... Several movies that the third was in 3D, and then they just made some junk movies in 3D, but it was still fun. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely fun and entertaining. I'll give it yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, so is there any other final thoughts with The Fog or anything like that that you wanted to add? No, I just think I... I I enjoyed this film. I thought it was good. And I didn't, I, when I was watching it, I mean, obviously it's a horror movie, but I really liked, there was a lot of other things I liked about it. I liked the characterization. I liked the storyline. I liked how he told the story, moving from char- different characters and different settings and that kind of thing, um, using sort of Father Malone as the main thread throughout to, um, to, to keep the story moving. And I, and I liked it. I mean, it, I don't, I, critics didn't like it when it first came out, but it did really well. I mean, it was a $1 million budget and it made $20 million, which is pretty significant. So I think us as the viewer are, we're, are, are the ones that, um, I just, I liked it. I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was solid. It wasn't my favorite horror movie, but I enjoyed it. Same here. This is not my favorite Carpenter movie, to be honest with you. I might actually do a John Carpenter ranking list later on <laughs> after the Halloween season. Yeah, you but should. But this is one of my... I, I do appreciate this film. I appreciate you asking me, do I want to do The Fog? And I'm glad that you introduced me into a new movie that I haven't seen before because I feel like I've seen almost any everything just about. But it's impossible to see every movie. But still... I hear you. <laughs> I, but I appreciate the fact that you introduced me to this film for the first time and I was able to get something out of it and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you did because um, otherwise I would have just blamed Casey. <laughs> yep. That's a, that's a good reason. <laughs> She's watching. So she knows I make fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with that being said, Beth, where can everybody reach you at and follow you on social media? I am one half of the Made for TV Movie Club podcast. You can find us. All of our socials are actually just kind of, well, I always do this wrong right here. (laughs) If you Google that hashtag, you'll find me. But just give us a Google and you'll find us. And you can listen to us. We're on all, I I think we're on most of the podcast Mm. platforms at this point. So you can find us there. Yeah. And we're, we're pretty active on, on, um, uh, Instagram. I, I spend most of my time on Instagram. So come on over and say hi. 
All right. And guys, you guys can go on and follow me underneath Movie Lovers TV Lovers Night on Facebook. Of course, underneath the same brand name on Instagram and on Pinterest as well. Then, of course, guys, you can get an audio podcast only episode wherever you guys get your podcast from. Also, too, go to Good Pods. Good Pods is a great place for you guys to go on ahead and interact with us and things like that. Rank each individual episodes. The easy play button is actually the great thing about Good Pods and everything, too, because of how smooth it actually runs. And then, of course, Giving us a five-star ranking or any kind of ranking also helps us with the ranking genres and stuff like that within Good Pods itself. So go ahead and check us out on Good Pods. Of course, guys, we also teamed up with Two Blur Girls Podcast to do a Cincy charity event with Children's of St. Jude's Hospital. All the proceeds go over to the Children of St. Jude's. So get yourself a Cincy. Spend $10 over there. Of course, guys, go on ahead. If you want to donate to the page, you guys don't have to. But if you got choose to do so, just go on ahead. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash MovieLowers podcast and that's how you can donate five to ten dollars to us that's just to keep the lights here on at movie lovers tonight but smashing that like button smashing that share button smashing that little subscribe button on the bottom right hand corner allows you guys to support us and also too if you go on ahead and smash that little bell on the very bottom it also allows you to know when we have some new content coming out and matter of fact speaking of new content we just dropped a two trailer reactions today we did the Uncharted trailer reaction, and then we also did a video game uh, reaction trailer. Yeah, I know we did a tra- we did for a movie channel, and we did a video game trailer reaction. What's going on here? But we did that because of the fact that it's DC and DC Comics, and because DC is linked up with movies and stuff like that, we decided to do that on the Gotham Knights. So go ahead and support that as well. We also did a couple of other trailer reactions uh, recently as well, so go on ahead and check that out. Tomorrow we'll be dropping the Michael Bay Ambulance trailer reaction tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. And then, of course, you guys can go on ahead, follow me on TikTok at Movie Lovers Unit 001, and then Movie Lovers Unit on Twitter as well. And then, of course, if you want to be on the show, if you are a sponsor, just go on ahead and reach out to me at MovieLoversUnite at gmail.com. And that's everywhere you can reach me at. Thanks again, Beth. I do appreciate this Thanks, once John. again joining. It's always fun. Always it, fun. We have a great time. It is. It is always a blast having you on. I can't wait to do thank this you. again. You're very welcome. And thank you for taking the time out of your night to be able to do this with me. I do appreciate it. And always until next time, guys. It's been real. It's been fun. I can't wait to do this again. And bye-bye.